Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on Apple and Google Podcasts. This is episode 74 of the show where we talk about how the airline passenger experience is evolving in a mobile, social, vocal world. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. One more week until my second COVID vaccination. And I have to say, it feels like a weight has been lifted and I'm increasingly optimistic about the recovery for our industry. Ooh, I'm excited to hear that, Max, and congratulations on getting your uh, your first shot. Uh, waiting for uh, the rollout to speed up a little bit here in good old Pennsylvania for uh, for it to become available to to my group. But uh, definitely feel like there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel right now, eh? I hope it's uh, hope it's soon, and and that leads right into our first PaxX news story making headlines. The International Air Transport Association, IATA, has announced the findings of its latest poll, which suggests that travelers are eager to get back in the air. Some 57% of respondents expect to be traveling within two months of the pandemic being contained. 72% want to travel to see family and friends as soon as possible. I like that one. And 81% believe that they will be more likely to travel once they are vaccinated. Now, those numbers are very, very encouraging, but I I always like to look at the methodology and the assumptions implicit in the poll. And I had to call this a poll of recent travelers. And I'm wondering, is that literally what they mean? Wouldn't recent travelers be predisposed to traveling? Or or do they really mean pre-COVID travelers? Right. But I'd also be curious to learn if there are regional differences in the responses, and I kind of suspect there are. But some additional uh, statistics that came from this poll that I found interesting was that 68% agreed that their quality of life had suffered with travel restrictions. I'm almost, I, I'm almost surprised it's not higher. Yes. <laughs> well. Also, uh, almost half, 49% believe that air travel restrictions have gone too far. That's interesting. That's a big number. I wonder how many of the respondents are in the the travel industry, but uh, that, that's a big number. That is a big number. I have to say, Max, the results of this survey really resonated with me. I mean, I'm seeing so much pent-up demand from the people in my life and in my network. They're so excited about the prospect of finally visiting family and friends or taking that sun holiday at last. You know, they're dusting off their travel bucket <laughs> lists, and many seem eager to fly once they've been vaccinated. But in parts of the Northeast, uh, we've had what I would consider to be kind of an old-fashioned winter. It's been very cold. It has snowed quite a bit, at least around these parts. And um, so many of us have been largely homebound. And coupled with COVID isolation, um, this harsh winter, the fact that we can't just jump on a jet without some serious deliberation and consideration has, I think, contributed negatively to some people's mental health. And and some of that meshes, as you say, with IATA's findings. I I did find that nearly 40% number to be interesting of respondents who reported mental stress and missing an important human moment as a result of the travel restrictions to be, you know, interesting, tying mental stress to travel restrictions. Very, very interesting. So, If you have lost a loved one to COVID or watched someone suffer through a bad bout, you might think 
this conversation falls into 21st century first world problem category, and you might be playing the tiniest little violin for those who haven't been able to fly. Um, and certainly we are aware of that, and, and perhaps you're correct to a point, but um, dismissing the mental health fallout of this pandemic doesn't feel right to me either. I have a newfound appreciation for the importance of having something to look forward to in life, like a trip, and, and being able to connect with the humans you love and cherish. And for those of us who don't live in sunshine states or indeed sunshine countries, COVID restrictions plus a hard winter can send a person into a bit of a depression and that doesn't even touch on the countless couples who have been separated for the last year due to travel restrictions. So it's certainly understandable why the travel bug is hitting so many people so hard right now. Max, I do wonder if COVID has reset some of our passenger experience expectations a tad because in the past we've talked a lot about shrinking seats on aircraft, but I get the sense that at least initially people will be willing to fly on lawn chairs if it means getting to travel at an affordable <laughs> price. Do you think your expectations will be tempered a bit when you do finally get back in the air? I think that's an interesting point. I hadn't really considered that. And I think you might be right that the goal right now would be to start traveling again. And if it's not quite up to the comfort levels I would like or remember or fantasize about, uh, that's okay. Um, I think that uh, just being able to to travel is the goal. Uh, you know, we did see a, a number of projections about how long it would take uh, the travel industry to recover from this. And uh, many of the uh, predictions were out several years. And especially at the end of last year, it kind of felt uh, that that would be the case maybe. But on this issue of pent-up demand, yeah, I, I'm I'm seeing and feeling so much of it that maybe – the recovery will be quicker than uh, some people had originally projected. That would be great. That would be great. Would you Would you think maybe we'll get to that recovery point by 2023, Max? Even sooner? Oh, I'm wondering if it isn't, yeah, even sooner. Isn't wow. uh, in 2022 and hey, hey. maybe not that deep into 2022. So, now I'm on record, I guess, for making that prediction. We'll have to see. <laughs> well, here we go. Lay down the money. $20 right now, Max. No. Um, but uh, you know what? Infrequent flyers, of course, when it's not a, a global pandemic, you know, ticket price trumps PAXX more times than not when we're talking about the infrequent flyer. Um, but given that so many people's pocketbooks are a bit lighter right now. <laughs> certainly seems like bargain hunting will be the name of the game for the infrequent and even some of the frequent flyers among us, which of course is good news for low cost carriers. Um, but I think that also means that there's a clearer opportunity for airlines to differentiate their products in the coming years. Those carriers that are perhaps on better financial footing or those carriers that plan a little bit more for the long term, they might still decide to prove a few points on the product front. And I'd be looking at the likes of JetBlue and Delta here in the U.S. and naturally Middle Eastern carriers, which continue to set a high bar for the onboard experience. Emirates, for example, is rolling out a new premium economy seat, made the announcement in the midst of this pandemic. Um, so PAXX programs are afoot, but of course, COVID has had just an absolutely devastating impact on aviation uh, and on jobs. Um, and so these are little lights at the end of the tunnel, but uh, they're, they're, I think we still have some difficult times ahead, you know, uh, getting people back to work, Max, getting aircraft uh, out of mm -hmm. the desert, <laughs> getting them, uh, you know, that that's a concern as well. It's just, you know, when that aircraft has been sitting for quite some time and little animals have been 
trying to get in there and finding a home. You know, those little issues that need to <laughs> need to be worked out. One thing I wanted to mention about IATA, of course, um, they've had a lot of messaging throughout the pandemic. They they've, they've really provided really nice granular detail for the entirety of it. But um, um, they have mentioned that if governments require verified testing or vaccination as a condition of international travel, and some have already indicated that they're planning on going down that route, then IATA actually stands at the ready to assist with what's called the IATA Travel Pass. And this is a mobile application that helps travelers store and manage the info. We've seen several airlines have agreed to trial it already. Singapore Airlines, Air New Zealand, ANA, just I think today, Emirates, Etihad, the line, the, the list is growing. Um, have you checked this out at all, Max, this IATA Travel Pass um, to keep all that COVID info straight? I have not seen that yet, but I think that it, it's very important that there be an international standard. And we I don't think we want to see a situation where different countries have different requirements uh, for documentation, let's say. It really needs to be an, an international standard. And I think, obviously, IATA is the organization to to promote that. So I hope there's broad acceptance of the concept. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but it does it does feel like at least some countries are, are going to go that route, which, you know, creates all sorts of other questions about should those who have not gotten the vaccine be able to fly? Um, that's certainly a topic that's rolling around right now. It could be a potentially contentious topic, but that's where we stand. Another potential uh, conflict, uh, contentious topic, uh, comes really surrounding our next story. And this is Cathay Pacific that has confirmed that passengers flying in first or business class are permitted to remove their masks when sleeping in the lie flat position. Now, a Cathay Pacific spokeswoman told Runway Girl Network, quote, seats in first and business class are more spacious with partitions and passengers are exempted when lying flat for sleep. Well, Mary, uh, this news has generated a, a lot of mixed responses from travelers. What are you seeing? Yeah, let me read for you just a couple of the comments, Max, because I put this uh, question out uh to my following on LinkedIn, and it was really interesting. Folks fell into one of two categories. They're either fully supportive of a mask exemption under these very specific circumstances or fully against it. One chap on the pro side said, with a negative COVID test and a low-density cabin, I would be comfortable with masks off while flying flat. Uh, and another individual noted, air circulation is pulled to the floor and renewed at the ceiling, which you would think would make this static position safe. Those who do not believe in mask exemptions called Cathay's decision classist. And in fact, this was one of the most common criticisms uh, that I observed. Um, I personally can see both sides. On the one hand, the, the layout of many of these life flats, especially the herringbones that have become so hugely popular in the last you know, 10, 12 years, offer great privacy in a fairly enclosed space, though, of course, not entirely enclosed. And Cathay was among the first batch of airlines to adopt these types of seats with its popular Cirrus seat implementation. So one can see uh, Cathay's argument. They figure they've got the hard product on board. Why not? But on the flip side, some good work has been done, including by 
ideal aviation, exploring how you don't always necessarily have totally vertical airflow in a cabin because of air rolls, which are the ultrafine particles that circulate in spaces like aisles and overhead bins. And I'd kind of like to see a study that looks at the air rolls in lie flat suites. So that might be a consideration. But regarding the accusation that this is classist, if you're an economy class passenger and the cabin isn't full, and let's say technically you've got six foot between you and the next passenger, shouldn't you be able to remove your mask as well? And then if you do, does that open Pandora's box to a host of other exemptions? So Max, first, I guess, do you believe we'll still be wearing masks in flight once the majority of the population has been vaccinated? Because that will decide if this becomes a bigger issue or not. Well, six feet is kind of an arbitrary uh, distance uh, established at the beginning. And uh, a lot of people seem to think that's some magic number. And inside six feet, you're not safe. Mm-hmm. And outside six feet, uh, you are right. safe. And that's just uh, its just simply not true. But uh, I, I'm OK with this, although I understand how people in the or some people in the cheap seats will probably be angry. But in general, people are on a hair trigger already. This just gives them one more thing to be angry about. But uh, passenger separation in a lie flat cabin, it, it's probably more socially distant than with passengers in the back of the plane. And I'm happy with the argument that airplane ventilation and filtration systems provide superior air quality. But I will say that if I was uh, in the uh, lie flat cabin, uh, if I was flying now, I'd sleep with a mask on. You would. I would. If you get a good mask, it makes all the difference in the world. And I I wear glasses and I have some Vietnamese masks and my glasses don't fog. Okay. I'd be perfectly happy to, to fall asleep wearing a mask. It's not a, to me, it's not a big deal. It's something that you can accommodate. So I'm good with it. But again, I understand how other people may view this differently. Yeah, I've been wearing the KN95 for a large portion of the pandemic, and I confess I'm able to handle about 20 minutes inside the grocery store with that on, and then I'm I'm the gal tearing it off just because I, dare I say it, have a hard time breathing. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, but, you know, I, you're right. I guess there are other options then <laughs> than that. And there's... <laughs> I suppose that's possible. I suppose that's possible. Um, I think the likelihood is that I'll be flying down back for a while, Max. So (laughs) I'll just accept that reality, perhaps. But um, one of the topics that we've been tracking amid COVID is the mask exemptions for disabled passengers. And many U.S. airlines sought to honor disability rights at the beginning of the pandemic, but they changed their tune when people started falsely claiming disability at the gate in order to not wear a mask. Now, there has been another reversal after the CDC under President Biden issued guidelines for mask wearing on public transport and included exemptions for those with health conditions precluding mask use. So U.S. operators have, some of them rather quietly amended their mask policies again, and I'm sure they don't appreciate me saying it out loud or on the site, but the ADA and the ACAA are there for a reason, and we are seeing some disability advocates grow more vocal on this particular issue. So that's something we're paying attention to. Um, But hey, the mask issue has been very, very contentious this last year. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people who are sit on both sides of that argument, both sides of the fence. Yes, for sure. And it is difficult when you have one, one requirement, wear a mask, that 
applies to everybody or should apply to everybody or you'd like to apply to everybody, but everybody's not the same. And it's just guaranteed to be a difficult kind of a situation. Certainly, there have been many conflicts between people over over masks. Um, some of them on airplanes that have caused flights to be diverted because of the, the conflicts. We also see them just at the grocery store or in other retail establishments. People are uh, very passionate, some of them, uh, many of them, about that. And it's tough because we're talking about the health of people and maybe even creating a life or death situation. But I don't know. We, I just think we need to be kind of accommodating and hopefully we'll get to a point where these kinds of mask mandates will, uh, will, will no longer be required. Uh, and we can kind of get, remove that obstacle to all of us just getting along. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was an interesting point uh, made by an individual who commented on this Cathay piece, and he said, isn't a major point of wearing a mask not to protect me, per se, but those folks around me who might be more vulnerable and who might contract the virus from me as I may be asymptomatic? Um, So after I have traveled through town to the airport on the way to my seat and could have contracted the virus along the way, you know, he felt that then allowing folks to take their masks off then in their premium seat wouldn't make sense. So it's interesting. The divide is is really quite there. And but whether we'll be wearing them in in a year from now on board aircraft, that'll be interesting as well. We'll have to see. And I can imagine also that flight attendants would really love it if everybody wore a mask, even even in the the front of the airplane, um, where distances are yeah. uh, between passengers are somewhat greater. Uh, I, I would think that the flight attendants would want to see that. And their voice is very important as frontline employees, Max. I Absolutely. agree. It's interesting. All right. Well, last but not least, aviation seems to be largely in agreement that in a post-COVID world, its eco-credentials must improve. Now, many new ideas have been tabled to date, including new turboprops, blended wing body aircraft, hybrid electric aircraft, plus new turbofans, synthetic fuel, and not to mention exploratory studies into even hydrogen-powered aircraft. So I think these things are progressing, but I think at a lower rate. Um, Electric aircraft seem to be progressing nicely, although mostly at the small end of the size spectrum. Uh, We see uh, electric airplanes from Pipistrol, for example, that are certified. Honeywell is developing a new turbo generator that will run on biofuel to power a small hybrid electric aircraft. In that design, it integrates uh, an APU power section that they manufacture with a one megawatt generator. Aviation aircraft is making strides, and everybody and their little brother says they're developing for urban air mobility. So there's there's a lot yes. going on in the in the electric space these days. Yeah, there sure is. Actually, um, I think it was December 2019 that where the modified de Havilland Beaver flown by Harbor Air took to the skies, powered by an electric right. motor. And um, the company involved in that, it's a 750 horsepower motor from Magniex. Have you heard of this company, Max? They're also working with Honeywell. Um, 
Yeah, they seem to be playing kind of a, an interesting role in, in kind of this, uh, and especially the hybrids that, that are on the work on hybrids that is afoot. Um, we've got Collins Aerospace's X-Plane. Uh, we've got this Honeywell Magni-X combo uh, working with UK startup Faradair on kind of a funky concept called the bioelectric hybrid aircraft. But one prominent pairing, the Airbus Rolls-Royce E-Fan-X project, has uh, effectively bowed out of the race with Airbus saying a bolder approach is needing, needed. So last fall, Airbus announced a bunch of new bold eco-aviation ideas, including a plan to start a 15-year process to get a smaller hydrogen-powered aircraft certified and flying. So needless to say, we'll be paying close attention to that one. But there is a little bit of a fear, Max, I suppose, because we've heard about it for so long in terms of biofuel, for example. That conversation we've been having for quite some time. I, I remember Richard Branson kind of famously drinking some biofuel to celebrate Virgin Atlantic becoming the first to operate a flight. I think it was back in 2008. So there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of marketing and a lot of written word about it. Um, what do you, what do you think might be the, do you have any thoughts on what might be the closest to prime time? Do you think these kind of hybrid electric will be what will see in the near term? I think that's a real possibility. Uh, we, we also see a lot of attention in the hydrogen fuel area, but I think that's a little bit farther out. For, for one thing, we don't really have a distribution infrastructure for hydrogen fuel. Uh, the, the volumetric energy, energy density of compressed hydrogen is low. Liquid hydrogen is much better, but that's a whole different game when it comes to the containment vessels that are required for for liquid hydrogen. Um, and one thing, and this applies to to the hydrogen uh, fuel arena as well as other alternatives. Is it takes energy to manufacture hydrogen, and I understand that most current hydrogen production comes from fossil fuels. So you still have have that connection, but. Whether you're talking about hydrogen or talking about electric, I don't always see the analysis including the entire supply chain, the energy required at all the steps. People think that, well, electric is non-polluting and is, is the ultimate of green, but you can. You, you have to produce the electricity somehow, and it's just important, I think, to understand the total cost and the total impact uh, on the environment of the technology. But aviation kind of has a dilemma, I think. We see this growing demand for action in terms of protecting the environment, but it takes time to change technology. And these technology changes are only possible with a huge investment. So look, uh, we, we are aviation. We are conservative. We are highly regulated. We don't want aircraft falling out of the sky. We have to get it right. And something new costs a lot of money. That's one issue. And it also takes a long time to go from great idea to certified product. And I think the forces that want aviation to uh, become more green don't really see that issue. Mm, yeah, interesting. Would you say that, you know, given the amount of aid that has been provided to airlines um, amid the pandemic, it gives governments uh, that want to see improvements from aviation on this front, gives them a little bit more clout to push that now maybe, Max? 
um, you know, especially in Europe where they seem to have a little bit more of a uh, powerful message around all of this. I just wonder if it gives if if it gives governments a little bit more uh, to be able to nudge the airlines in this direction. Now, we're lucky to have a UK-based aviation journalist called Carrie Reels, who contributes to Roma Girl Network, and she has focused heavily on green aviation and has done some great work tracking the latest developments for us. And I thought one of her recent pieces was really, really interesting. It highlighted an initiative that is underway in Europe to develop electrofuels for airlines using carbon dioxide captured directly from the atmosphere as a feedstock. And she wrote, although in its infancy, this type of synthetic kerosene has the potential to significantly reduce the aviation industry's carbon footprint. And KLM recently performed a flight um, powered partially by sustainably produced synthetic kerosene, um, which is super interesting. Um, and I guess it goes back to what is the inhibitor? As you say, the cost of producing biofuel has proven to be that. Um, and so... I do wonder it, how, how you deal with that cost issue because <laughs> there's no shortage of fantastic ideas. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, biofuels and synthetic, and synthetic fuels uh, should be, I don't want to say an easy solution, but one that doesn't seem to require as much technology investment as other, uh, other options. And you don't need to change the aircraft or the, or the engines. They run fine on on biofuels. Uh, you do have issues like uh, where are these crop-based fuels grown and do they take away land from food stocks that would have been grown otherwise or is the economic return for farmers greater with uh, plant-based biofuels so that they're disincentivized to uh, grow crops? I mean, those are those are kind of issues as well. But I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more development of uh, biofuels, more uh, infrastructure created to, to support biofuels. There have been some, but it's just – it hasn't progressed as far as I thought and hoped a couple of years ago. Mm. Max, you know, while we're talking about aviation's efforts to improve its green credentials, of course, we're also seeing um, – the hopes that supersonic flying will make a return. And it's interesting to to be looking at what is being done on the supersonic level in the context of also aviation working to be more environmentally friendly. Can can these two things uh, co- coexist, <laughs> Max, in your opinion? That's a dilemma, certainly. And when I was in the jet engine business, the most frequent question I would get from non-aviation people was something like, when are we going to get faster airplanes? And they didn't mean supersonics. <laughs> they meant faster Boeing and Airbus airliners. They assumed that's what we were working on, making the planes they were familiar with faster so flights could be shorter. Well, no, I'd explain. We don't want to go faster. That burns more fuel. We want to burn less fuel. And they they kind of got it, but it's not the answer they were expecting. So with all of the supersonic designs, and there are many of them out there uh, now, progressing mm. commercially, uh, NASA, others are, are doing some great, uh, some great things. But I think those designs need to cons- uh, address these concerns about the environment or they risk failing because of public perception. And I think the the power of 
public perception is you don't want to underestimate it. Uh, I, I think it's it's growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, in Europe, I think we've seen it as growing stronger in Europe than in the United States. But I think that just means that the views that people hold in Europe concerning the environment are the views that will be coming to the United States eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, is my personal opinion. But if these supersonic planes don't address that issue and don't have answers uh, to the uh, issue of polluting the environment, then they're going to face, I think, a lot of public pressure that could, you know, could be devastating to that burgeoning, budding segment of the industry. Yeah. Fascinating. Another one to definitely be watching closely, Max. Well, we're rapidly coming to a close. We'd like to thank our listeners. Remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on Apple and Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at runwaygirl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd love to have you, especially as you take to the skies again and start sharing what your passenger experience is like as uh, industry and as the world uh, emerges um, from this global pandemic. And, and as vaccinations uh, pick up a pace, um, and hopefully we can get back to flying again. In meantime, be sure to join us again next time when we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everyone. 